When everyone is on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said. Done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to a breath of fresh earth. Taking the commitment to a clean environment to the next level. Your host, Rick Friedman, will crown the climate hero and villain of the week, along with discussing worldwide environmental issues, showcasing new products designed with the longevity of our planet in mind, and putting the spotlight on the individuals making a big impact in helping the climate and pollution crisis through social media. Now, your host, Rick Friedman. We're doomed. We're doomed. Welcome to a special episode of A Breath of Fresh Earth. To celebrate Halloween in the United States, I present the first annual Halloween Doom and Gloom Tour. Rising temperatures, melting Arctic ice, drought, desertification, and other effects of climate change are not examples of future troubles. They are a reality today. During this episode, I'll speak to a few of the reasons we're facing a catastrophic future. The way a large segment of the population in the United States is facing the pandemic by avoiding wearing masks and not socially distancing is a good analogy to climate change. These people either don't believe anything bad will happen to them, or it will happen to someone else, or they believe what the current president tells them. He's giving them false hope and bad information, much like fossil fuel proponents seek to confuse, deflect, and deny what is crystal clear. Fossil fuels are killing us toss in a gazillion pieces of plastic everywhere, including inside us, and we're in serious trouble. In the end, we see reports of non-mask wearers recording messages from a hospital, facing death due to the virus, begging others to listen to the experts, the scientists, and to protect themselves from a deadly foe. Climate change will be a more difficult opponent to beat. There's no vaccine for climate change and pollution. 
Only hard decisions and a commitment to change how we heat and cool our homes, transport ourselves around the planet, and how products we don't use anymore are slipping into streams, rivers, lakes, and oceans. I use humor, at least I hope you think it's humor, to educate and entertain on this podcast. This is, and will never be, the Science Channel. I'm not nearly as smart as Bill Nye, the science guy. Episode 13, there's a special about him in there. There won't be any attempted humor today. Welcome to the Halloween Doom and Gloom Tour. The first stop on the tour today is the Plastic Planet, once known as Earth. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when I say the word plastic? For me, it's the scene in the 1967 movie The Graduate, with Dustin Hoffman, Anne Bancroft, and Catherine Ross. As a young Hoffman contemplates a career after graduating from college, a friend of his parents pulls him aside and tells him to remember one word, plastics. And a moment later tells him, there's a great future in plastics. In the movie, plastic was meant to infer that Ben should take the simple, boring way of life. And if you watch the movie, you'll know that was not how Ben Braddock was going to live his life. For our purposes here today, plastics simply means plastic. And in 1967, plastic did not fill the ocean or our bodies. It was Legos. And that seemed pretty harmless. We've come a long way. Plastic pollution creates microplastics. That's a growing concern for human health, as studies find them everywhere, from our drinking water, inside seafood and birds, whales. Check out YouTube sometime, and you can find dozens of videos where scientists crack open a dead animal and find pieces of plastic inside their bodies. Really gross. The American Chemical Society Fall 2020 Virtual Meeting has found evidence of chemicals from plastic inside human organs. There's plastics contaminating the environment everywhere on the globe. We went from plastic being a new product that benefited us to considering it a threat. Plastic is in our bodies. <coughs> oh, excuse me, I just coughed up a fragment from a piece of a Lego. Speaking of Legos, and my kids loved playing with them, there's still a box of them no more than 20 feet from where I'm sitting. They've contributed to filling our world with multicolored pieces of plastic since 1949. They vowed to change their iconic bricks, and by 2030, they'll be 100% sustainable and they're changing their packaging to be more environmentally friendly, putting their tiny bricks in recycled paper bags. Previous research on microplastics and nanoplastics have focused on its accumulation and effects on marine life, with particular focus on seafood that humans consume. Imagine going to a restaurant and ordering the catch of the day, and the waiter asks you, Sir, would you like your salmon with plastic or without? Well, there isn't much known about the health effects on human tissues yet, but do we really need scientists to tell us that plastic in our gut and our intestines is not a great idea? We're literally killing ourselves and everything on the planet with plastic. Wouldn't it suck if we finally got a handle on greenhouse gases only to find that the amount of plastic in the ocean and every animal and human is going to kill us anyway? Humans ingest microplastics. Humans ingest microplastics. And it does at least pass through our digestive system, as evidenced by the finding that they were widely found in fecal samples from people all over the world. Who is the unlucky technician that searched through poop trying to find microplastic? I will never complain about my job again. It would be naive to believe there is plastic everywhere, but not just inside us. Of course it's in us. Global mean sea level has risen about 8 or 9 inches since 1880, and about a third of that coming in just the last two and a half decades. 
the rising water level is mostly due to a combination of meltwater from glaciers and ice sheets and thermal expansion of seawater as it warms. In 2019, global mean sea level was 3.5 inches above the 1993 average. In the United States, almost 40% of the people live in a relatively high population density coastal area, where sea level plays a role in flooding, erosion, hazards from storms. Globally, eight of the world's 10 largest cities are near a coast. I have to use a little bit of science for the next 55 seconds, so bear with me. Global warming is causing sea levels to rise in two ways. First, as I said, glaciers and ice sheets worldwide are melting and adding water to the ocean. Second, the volume of the ocean is expanding as the water warms. Since the early 1990s, sea level has been measured from space using radar altimeters, which determine the height of the sea surface by measuring the return speed and intensity of a radar pulse directed at the ocean. The higher the sea level, the faster and stronger the return signal is. To estimate how much of the observed sea level rise is due to thermal expansion, Scientists measure sea surface temperatures using buoys, satellites, water samples collected by ships. Temperatures in the upper half of the ocean are measured by a global fleet of aquatic robots. Deeper temperatures are measured by instruments lowered from oceanographic research ships. See, that wasn't so bad. As global temperatures continue to warm, sea level will continue to rise. How much it'll rise depends mostly on the rate of future carbon dioxide emissions and future global warming. How fast it will rise depends mostly on the rate of glacier and ice sheet melting. In 2017, the United States Interagency Sea Level Rise Task Force said the water level is likely to rise at least 12 inches by 2100, even with a low emissions pathway going forward, and it could rise as high as 8 feet. The higher worst-case scenario, which is unlikely, can't be ruled out, though, is largely due to new observations and modeling on ice loss from Antarctica and Greenland. This meltdown is having impacts all across the planet. As ice melts off Greenland and Antarctica, the gravitational mass decreases, sending water surging towards the equator. The largest Arctic research expedition in history recently returned to shore after 13 months in the Arctic. The goal of the mission was to study the future of the Arctic during the climate crisis. And what they found was not good. The mission leader said they witnessed how the Arctic is dying. If the current warming trend continues, the Arctic will see ice-free summers. Coming to you from the dark, scary, slimy place. <laughs> Climate change isn't the only consequence of carbon pollution from fossil fuels. If driving global temperature rise wasn't enough, Increased carbon in our atmosphere is also behind a rapid acidification of our world's oceans. 97% of the Earth's water is in the ocean, and the ocean covers more than 70% of the planet. Our oceans are an incredible carbon sink, which means they're great at absorbing carbon dioxide. When the ocean absorbs carbon dioxide, it dissolves to form carbonic acid, and the ocean becomes more acidic, upsetting the delicate pH balance that millions and millions of organisms rely on. Since the Industrial Revolution, our seas have become about 30% more acidic, a rate not observed in over 300 million years. As the oceans become more acidic, some sea creatures have a more difficult time forming shells, including coral polyps. These are the little tiny builders of coral reefs. Keeping coral reefs healthy and growing is vital, because the reefs protect our coastlines from erosion and flooding. Coral reefs are considered to be the most biodiverse ecosystem on the planet. 
When coral is hit hard by both ocean acidification and climate change, so too are the many species that rely on it for food. Ocean acidification is already dramatically impacting people and species around the world. To save our oceans and stop climate change, we must transition away from burning dirty fossil fuels. Your Halloween would not be the same without me. And what happens if we don't get water in the right places? We have drought. Our tour continues. Earth's climate has swung in and out of ice ages since the dawn of time. In the last 50 years, however, things have changed. Average global temperatures have increased ever more quickly. The 10th warmest years globally have all occurred since 1998, and 9 of the 10 highest have occurred since 2005, with 2019 being the warmest year on record. Agriculture is one of the industries most exposed and vulnerable to climate change. Crops and livestock are extremely sensitive to temperature and precipitation. A late spring frost can be devastating, or a heat wave during the flowering stage can result in a reduced yield. Think of agriculture as the Goldilocks industry. The weather shouldn't be too hot or too cold, and the rainfall must be just right. Producing enough food for everyone in the world depends heavily on climate. Climate change also intensifies other stresses on global food production. Consider the critical role of water. Meat consumption alone accounts for an estimated 22% of global water use, and this will no doubt increase in a hotter world. Climate change also alters rainfall patterns. Some places will have too little water to farm, while others may have enough but finds that it falls at the wrong time or arrives less frequently but in larger rainfall events. Climate change is anticipated to force more than 100 million people into extreme poverty by 2030. That's not that far away. Throughout the world, the number of people facing a water shortage is growing. In Ethiopia, almost 10 million people are in desperate need for food. According to the Global Hunger Index, 800 million people are undernourished. And in 2018, more than 5 million children died before their fifth birthday, in many cases as a result of undernutrition. The situation is worsening in South America and Central Asia and most regions in Africa. Climate change is increasing the severity and frequency of extreme weather events like storms and droughts. The recent drought in Australia was identified as the worst drought in 800 years. You'll recall the massive fires last year in Australia, egged on by a record-breaking run of above-average temperatures for three years. Due to climate change, hot days will be more frequent and extreme rainfall will be more intense. The director of Chile's Resilience Institute says the country is facing desertification rather than an absence of rain or temporary drought. Desertification is classified as advanced stage of radical climate change and evidence that global warming is beyond the scope of all expectations by world leaders. And that leads us to the next disaster facing mankind. What good is the perfect amount of sun and water if the ground is full of poison? 
Increased demand for food has forced farmers to use fertilizer and pesticides that release nothing but toxins into the soil. That kills useful microorganisms that are important in plant growth. These chemicals are not produced in nature and can't be broken down by nature, and they seep into the ground after they mix with the water and slowly reduce the fertility of the soil. Check out episode 4, where I talk about fracking, and episode 6, where DuPont poisoned the ground and they received the brunt of my anger. Industries are by far the worst polluters of the soil with all the chemicals they release into the environment. With rapid growth of human population, we need all the food we can get. Chemicals used on soils reduce soil fertility, so food production drops. Countless deaths have been caused by humans ingesting foods that are grown in toxic soil. In episode 15, I suggest you watch the Netflix special, Kiss the Ground. The documentary will give an in-depth description of the problem, including a dire warning that unless we make changes on how we farm, we might have just 60 harvests left on Earth. 60! Think of the thousands of years people have been tilling the land, and now we could ruin it forever before the end of the century. Well, that takes care of our nightlife. Let's take a little break from the tour and talk about my favorite end-of-the-world movies. No zombies or dinosaurs are eligible. Number four, Wally. There's too much garbage on Earth, and a cute little robot is left to clean it up. Number three, The Day After Tomorrow. I liked it because Mexico takes in refugees from the United States, and you know, we didn't always send our best. Some, I suppose, were good people. Number two, Snowpiercer. Just a weird concept. Everyone left on Earth lives on a train 10 miles long. And number one, Interstellar. The visuals, the score by Hans Zimmer, which should have won an Oscar, and although there are moments when the plot is a bit far-fetched, when Murphy figures out the message in the watch, oh man, what a moment. Matthew McConaughey's character Cooper wouldn't let his baby girl down, and neither will I. That's one of the reasons I'm doing this show. He's just a younger, richer, better-looking, and more famous than I am. But other than that, we have a lot in common. And here's a few of my favorite end-of-the-world books. Escape to Canemuth, The Two Worlds of Billy Callahan, What? You never heard of them? I wrote them. Check them out on Amazon or wherever you purchase or download books. I said there'd be no humor, but I didn't say anything about cheap plugs for my novels. There are many exceptional books that cover this topic. A quick look at Google or Amazon and you'll find one that interests you. The tour continues. Let's imagine a worst-case scenario, since that's the purpose of this episode. Let's say all the glaciers and ice caps on the planet melt. The amount of water would flood nearly every coastal city around the world. Where would you go if, say, a flood devastated the city you live in? Millions of people around the world have already been forced to flee. In episode 14, I talked about the small town in Wales called Fairborn, where city leaders in 2013 decided it could not defend Fairborn from the elements in the long term. They've given up trying to save the town from rising seas. Wales isn't a third world country. If it's happening in Wales, it will happen to a coastal community in any country. Climate change isn't going away like a miracle when the weather warms up. In 2017, 69 million people were displaced, more than at any point in human history. More than one-third of those were uprooted by sudden weather events, like floods and fires and storms. In the sub-Saharan Africa, South Asia, and Latin America, without tangible climate action, more than 143 million people will be forced to move. Where are they supposed to go? More than one billion people worldwide will live in countries with insufficient infrastructure to withstand climate change by 2050. The Pacific Islands are expected to be affected especially hard. Sea level there is already rising at almost half an inch a year. Eight islands have already been submerged, and two or more are close to vanishing. 
By the year 2100, experts fear 48 more islands will be completely underwater. So what about the people who live there? What should we call them? Refugees? Migrants? Or a term that seems to be catching on, environmental refugee. I love how we make these phrases. We don't realize what a horrible thing it is. We say it like it's so matter-of-fact, like we'd see it in a science book. Environmental refugees is a terrible thing. The future impacts of climate change will disproportionately affect the world's poorest, but also pressure countries around the globe through mass migration of refugees. Next on the tour is deforestation. I touched on this topic heavily in Episode 8, so we'll just take a quick look at it today. Trees capture greenhouse gases, like carbon dioxide, preventing them from accumulating in the atmosphere and warming our planet. When we clear forests, we're not only killing our best friend and capturing the staggering amount of greenhouse gases we humans create, we're also creating emissions by cutting down trees. When trees are felled, they release into the atmosphere all the carbon they've been storing. Knowing that deforestation robs us of a crucial weapon in the battle against climate change, why on earth would anyone clear a forest? Well, the main reason is agriculture. The world's exploding population has made it profitable for big business to raise forests so it can plant mega crops like soy and palm oil. But there's a tragic irony to clearing the rainforests for agriculture. Their underlying soils are extremely poor. All the nutrient richness is locked up in the forests themselves. So once they're burned and the nutrients from their ashes are used up, Farmers are left with utterly useless soil. So on they go to the next patch of forest. Raise, plant, deplete. The vicious cycle repeats. The things we've talked about are tangible, but we haven't touched on how lives and traditions of forest communities are ruined when forests are raised, or how many species of plants and animals are lost. There's a delicate balance in the world, and we're seriously messing up the ecosystems. Up is down, night is day, and we keep sinking towards the abyss. One of the best things we can do to fight climate change is to keep forests standing. Yet the need to feed a rapidly growing global population projected to reach 9 or 10 billion by 2050 is urgent. Where's the Lorax when you need him? Someone better speak for the trees. Well, that's clear enough. Since this is the Halloween special, I think it's only right that I mention a few spooky names we've given creatures that live on Earth. Number 10, the Halloween crab. Number 9, the coffin fish. Number 8, the Goblin Shark. Number seven, the Ghost Shark. Number six, the Vampire Bat. Number five, the Halloween Pennant Dragonfly. Number four, the Ghost Crab. Number three, the Blood Python. Number two, the Ghost Mantis. And at number one, the creature that closest resembles a dinosaur, the Gila Monster. Yeah, I know I said there'd be no dinosaurs or zombies, but that was just for movies. Air pollution impacts on human health in the short term and is directly linked to the deaths of elderly people and those already suffering from illness on a daily basis. Tiny particles of air pollution, particulate matter, are known as PM10 and PM2.5. The numbers refer to the size of the contaminants. In our case, it's micrometers. PM10 can penetrate our lungs and PM2.5 can enter our bloodstream. These particles increase mortality for all causes an increase in death due to respiratory and cardiovascular disease. It can cause fatigue, headaches, anxiety, irritation of the eyes, note, and throat, and damage our reproductive organs. Harms our liver, spleen, blood, 
affects our nervous system, pretty much every part of our body. Urban populations are more exposed to suffer the effects of air pollution, and in this context, people who are already ill are particularly vulnerable, as are children and the elderly. I touched on this in episode 10, where we learned about Rubbertown and Formosa plastics poisoning the air, water, and ground in Louisiana. I featured air pollution in episode 1 of this podcast. Clean water and clean air should be a core principle of every country, no exceptions. Air pollution causes between 5 and 8 million deaths a year worldwide. This is inexcusable for an intelligent species. Wait, did I just say we're an intelligent species? Have I even been listening to this episode? I'll wait to pass judgment on that until I see the results of the election on November 3rd. Congratulations, you've stuck with me to the end of this episode, and we need one more thing on the tour. We need a Villain of the Week. The Villain of the Week for the Halloween show has to be a really bad human being. The American president certainly qualifies, but he, who shall not be named on this podcast ever, didn't make it to the top of the list. It would be easy to say a guy like Hitler was the worst, but remember, we're trying to find the worst person that qualifies for environmental podcast. I have found my Halloween villain and his name is Trofim Lysenko, a Russian geneticist born in 1898 and died in 1976. Here's the scoop. In 1940, Lysenko became the director of the Institute of Genetics within the USSR's Academy of Sciences. He took a once promising honorable career and turned it into a crackpot scheme that ended up killing millions of people from starvation. As he rose in esteem under Joseph Stalin, Lysenko ignored the advice and counsel of a brilliant Russian botanist named Nikolai Vavilov. Lysenko's bogus agricultural research gave him unlimited power in the 1930s. Lysenko thought if plants were placed in the right setting with the proper stimuli, he could remake them to his wishes. Lysenko tried to train Soviet crops to sprout at different times of the year by soaking them in freezing water. One of Lysenko's more damaging ideas was to toughen seeds by treating them with heat and high humidity in an attempt to increase their ability to germinate under harsh conditions. He claimed future generations of the crops would take these environmental cues and inherit the beneficial traits. That'd be like cutting off the tail of a grown cat and expecting her to give birth to kittens without tails. Based on his misunderstanding of genetics, Lysenko developed methods that falsely predicted greater crop yields through a hardening of seeds and a new system of crop rotation. Lysenko's system of crop rotation eventually led to soil depletion that required years of replenishment with mineral fertilizers. Widespread crop failure and famine resulted. Stalin stuck with Lysenko, who forced farmers to plant seeds very close together. Lysenko forbade fertilizations and pesticides. Wheat, rye, potatoes, beets, everything grown according to Lysenko's methods died or rotted. And for some insane reason, communist China adopted Lysenko's plan in the late 50s, and all told, over 30 million people died of starvation. In 1948, the Presidium of the USSR's Academy of Science passed a resolution virtually outlawing any biological work that was not based on Lysenko's ideas. This reminds me of the president removing the words climate change from the EPA's website. Scientists who tried to stop Lysenko were rounded up and sent to prison, including his former mentor, Vavilov, who died of starvation. Although thousands of experiments carried out by geneticists all over the world 
failed to provide evidence and actually proved mounds of evidence against Lysenko's notions of transmutation of species, Lysenko's followers went on to make increasingly grandiose claims regarding the yields and the transformation of species. Hmm, sounds a lot like the boasts of the president saying that masks don't work. I'm telling you that scientists who disagreed with Lysenko went to prison and the others remained quiet. Kind of like USA Republicans who wouldn't even call a single witness to the president's impeachment trial. They lack courage and we must remember their cowardice when they run for office again. Thousands died as they cowered in silence. It's the most shameful display of leadership in my lifetime as an American. This makes me very angry. The more I read about Lysenko and Stalin, the worse I feel about the orange man. History really does repeat itself, and if we don't learn from the past, we will repeat it. And here it is, laid out before us. We're seeing the deadly consequences of putting ego ahead of science. I could cry about it right now, but that would not make for a good show. Someone better send Dr. Fauci a DoorDash gift certificate before the election, so he doesn't end up like our friend Vavilov. When Stalin died in 1953, Lysenko fell out of favor. What's the lesson to be learned? How about listening to the science and not trying to appease political leaders? Can someone please tell the president's newest corona advisor, Dr. Atlas, the story of Lysenko? Under Stalin, science was made to serve political ideology. Is it 2020 in America or the 1930s in Russia? We have a president that is copying the same game plan as Stalin. Under Stalin and Lysenko, scientific truth became both incompatible and inappropriate to political truth. Information on genetics was eliminated from Soviet biology textbooks, and Lysenko attempted to reduce his conflict with classical geneticists to political contradictions. The lesson? We need to remember that just because a dictator issues a decree or legislators pass a law, they have not changed reality. Ignoring science in favor of a preferred outlook on the world can have devastating consequences. The next time I click record on this computer, the U.S. election will be over, and hopefully Joe Biden will prevail over the other guy the guy who gave up on trying to protect the citizens of the United States, which is really his main job. The same guy that's rolled back more environmental rules than I care to count. We have the scientific skill to combat climate change, and plastic in the oceans and poison in the air and the ground. We need leaders to place the value of humanity above profit. That will not be an easy fight. Progress is being made as older generations leave the workforce and new, bright, energetic men and women fill those jobs. God bless the young people. My generation didn't do much to make things better. During each of the previous 17 episodes of this podcast, I've told you about scientists from different eras laying the groundwork to prove an attempt to fix our problems. Until we know the results of the election, I don't feel confident that a change is coming. Until next time, I say goodnight to my buddy who paid the ultimate price for standing up for science, not politics. Who was that fearless man? Galileo. Good night, gentlemen. Don't let the vampires get you. Thanks for listening to A Breath of Fresh Earth with your host, Rick Friedman. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you're the first to hear new episodes. If you want to nominate someone for Climate Hero of the Week, send it to Rick at the link below. This has been A Breath of Fresh Earth. Thanks for listening.
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.